This is Causing Friction. This is the podcast where we get a little uncomfortable, a little awkward on our journey of healing through mindfulness and becoming self-aware. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Today I have with me Alex, and Alex is going to dive into the world of sobriety, yoga, how she found yoga in order to help her sobriety. But I'm going to let Alex tell her own story. So please, Alex, take it away. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here, and I'm joining from Bali, Indonesia, so pretty far away. And I am a 500 hour registered yoga teacher. I'm also a yoga teacher educator. So I run yoga teacher trainings online on zoom and hopefully in person in Bali starting in 2022. And I also do work in the realm of sobriety. So sober coaching, I help people quit drinking and use rituals like yoga and meditation and journaling to help them cultivate and sustain their sobriety. Amazing. So can you go into why sobriety? Why was it necessary for your own healing journey? And why is it something that you have felt so devoted to? Yeah, so I am in Bali now, but I'm originally from Toronto, Canada. That's where I grew up. And I grew up in the regular drinking culture, North American drinking culture. It was around me with my family. It was around me with my friends. And I became a party girl from a very young age. I also started experiencing mood disorder symptoms around the same time. So around the time, the age that I was 15, I started drinking and partying pretty heavily. And I also started experiencing depression and anxiety. And alcohol became one of my coping mechanisms also yoga became one of my coping mechanisms. So I discovered yoga at a pretty young age. I was 10 when I did my first yoga for kids course. And I ended up writing this little newspaper article for my family that said, breaking news, Alex wants to be a yoga teacher when she grows up. So it was something that I dreamed about from a very young age. And I ended up following a career path in teaching because that was, you know, what you did, you went to university, you got like a a proper job. And meanwhile, while I was at university, I ended up falling so in love with my yoga practice, practicing every single day, multiple times a day, going to Mexico, becoming a yoga teacher. And I came back and I said to my parents, you know, I'm going to be a yoga teacher when I grow up. And they're like, you're going to like get a job. (laughs) And so I ended up moving to the Middle East. I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to become a teacher, then I might as well have to do this kind of international teaching adventure. So I was living in the Middle East throughout my twenties. I started in Kuwait, which was a very interesting place to be because alcohol is illegal. Yet I had this drinking issue which I was in denial of. (laughs) And I later moved to Abu Dhabi and Abu Dhabi is kind of the party central of the region. People go there to binge drink and party and it's kind of the getaway weekend location of the Middle East. And so I ended up getting pretty serious. Well, I don't think I realized it was an addiction at the time, but really deep into my, my drinking. And I hit a point where I was drinking every single day 
if I wasn't drinking, it was because I was hungover or too tired to drink. And I hit this point where it was just controlling me, controlling my happiness. And I knew that I had to quit. And so initially it was just 28 days off of alcohol. I never, ever dreamed that I would be here. Almost, I'm almost three years sober now. I never imagined that I would stick with it. But once I got sober and I got through the withdrawal and I, you know, hit this point and had this pivotal moment of change and I realized I am so much happier and healthier without this. And I just never, ever want to go back to, to how it used to be. Can I ask you what some of those symptoms were when you were experiencing that withdrawal, not just physically, but mentally? Yeah, I, for me, it was mostly a mental health thing. I don't remember noticing physical symptoms, but I had had times previously in my life where I had experienced suicidal thoughts. And when I was getting sober, I started experiencing suicidal thoughts. I got really depressed and I actually had a panic attack at work one day. I, I remember it because I, I think I quit drinking on a Sunday and it was Thursday that I had a panic attack. And it's such a funny thing in hindsight that I had a panic attack about. So as teachers, we were provided school accommodation, school housing in the Middle East because we, you know, we came from our homes to live there and the apartments were like absolutely like gorgeous. They were so nice. But I realized I was totally broke because I was spending so much money on partying, but I didn't understand that alcohol was the reason why I was broke. And I had thought, okay, if I move out of this apartment, then I will have more money. And so I had applied to move out and get the, the, the money instead and live in a cheaper apartment. And on, on the Thursday that I was sober, I found out that my application had been denied. I think I had missed the deadline or something. And I had this complete panic attack because I was like, you know, knee deep in credit card debt at this point, which was from all my partying. And I just didn't know how I was going to tackle it. And it's like something that in hindsight, it's like the universe is always working in your favor and it always is doing what you need. And the hilarious thing to me is that then the pandemic happened. Right. And so then I was in lockdown in this apartment and I, and I look back and I'm like, thank God that that application got denied because I would have been in this, you know, cheap place in a not nice part of town, but instead I got to be in this beautiful apartment. And so the universe was, had that in plan for me, but at the time I wasn't thinking that way and I couldn't see it. And so anyway, I remember just having a complete panic attack, hyperventilating, crying, and I was super, super lucky to have the amazing boss that I had, you know, kind of take me in and, um, and, and calm me down and kind of, she was always encouraging me to take mental health days. And I'm, I'm super, super grateful for the, the employers that I had in my last teaching job, but yeah, it was really the mental health thing. So it was the suicidal thoughts and the panic attacks. And this happened for me for about 10 days around day 11, I, I hit this point. I remembered the second weekend, I will never forget it. So maybe it was about 14 days sober when I was waking up for the second weekend, not hungover. And that was when I was like, Oh my God, life is beautiful, <laughs> but it's also the cravings too, right? You're having 
alcohol cravings and you don't know how to cope with them. And you're just trying to do anything you can to keep yourself from picking up that drink. And so it, it was, it was really tough. It was very hard. I can't even imagine how difficult that was for you. Um, and also I can imagine for people listening who are curious about sobriety, it seems intimidating because mm-hmm. like you said, in North American culture, it is so normalized and it's almost, if you don't drink, then you're the oddball. So if someone is sober curious and they're thinking about this, what would you advise them on? Should they be living in such a culture that really praises people for drinking and for partying? And it's seen as the cool, normal thing to do. How could someone kind of evaluate the current situation with alcohol, the relationship with alcohol, Mm -hmm. and then make the educated decision that sobriety is maybe for them? Yeah. So for myself, what got me into sobriety or what really got my foot in the door of the whole thing was I was seeing targeted ads for this online program. And this online program did an excellent job of making sobriety look cool. So it was all about the successes, the achievements. They had people in their early days. No one was identifying as an alcoholic. They all were identifying as a normal drinker who need to take a break from alcohol. And that was me from my point of view, right? I would never feel comfortable walking into a church and saying I'm an alcoholic. And I still don't, you know, use that word to this day. And so it just didn't resonate with me. And we got so stuck in thinking that AA is the only way to get sober when in reality in the last you know five or so years there have been amazing communities that have come up on the internet there's really so many different ones and so i would say if you are going if you want to explore sobriety first of all it's so hard to do it alone you need to have people behind you. Community is like your pillar to get through anything in life, right? It takes a village and I think find your community. So the program that I joined in particular was great, but it didn't really have any live interaction. It was all about like run a marathon for, to celebrate your 90 days was kind of what everyone was doing, which is great, but that was like super kind of manly and not really my scene. And I ended up really developing my spiritual yoga practice and For me, I actually ended up starting to teach sober yoga classes for them uh, when I was close to a year sober. And then that was kind of where my whole community bloomed up from. And so it's really a spiritual community that is based in, you know, yoga, meditation. It's open-minded. No one has to come in with any labels. We can use whatever label we're comfortable with. And so that being said, I think not my community is not gonna be right for everyone and I think at the end of the day all the sober communities out there we all have the same goal we all want you to find sobriety so it is like shop around and find the community that's right for you but definitely dig into a community because you're going to be facing people in the outside world that you know are going to be partying uh consuming celebrating alcohol. And so you really have to kind of find your, your people to, to keep you accountable and keep you going. Sense of community is so incredibly important. And I've realized that the older and the more spiritual, I just Mm. more connected with myself that I'm becoming, it really is the utmost importance to feel fulfilled and just feel true love. Um, 
And what I want to ask you about this is what were some of the warning signs that you realized that maybe your relationship with alcohol um, wasn't the healthiest and most productive for you? Yeah, that's a great question. So there were a few pivotal moments for me that really I look back on and I realize um, were big. I mean, first of all, way back as when I was, I, I think I was 24. So I quit drinking when I was 27. So it was, was I 24, 23, 22. Anyway, the point is I was really young and I moved in with a new group of roommates and it was all throughout university. My roommates had been my people, my friends, my party squad. And so my drinking seemed normal. And one summer I moved in with my uh, summer camp friends, little sister, you know, I think I was, I was on my way to Kuwait and I just needed a place to live for a couple of months and they were all athletes. They were all runners. And so for them, for the first time in my life, it was, you know, I was with people that were saying, let's go for a drink. And they literally were having one drink. And I remember being really conscious of, you know, at that point I had been having a beer almost every single night. And I felt like with them around me, I had to hide how much I was drinking. And so I think that was about a good four years before I got sober. And that was the first flag for me. If you feel like you have to hide how much you're drinking. And the same thing happened for me quite a few years later when I moved in with my ex-fiance, I felt like I had to hide how much I was drinking from him. And I think if that ever happens, then that is a warning sign. And I also had a few occasions towards the end, the very end of my drinking days before I got sober that I look back on. And a few of those were, so there was one occasion when I was traveling through Southeast Asia and I had an opportunity to ride on a boat from up the Mekong River from Laos into Thailand. And we were staying at a homestay, this Laotian village, which should have been amazing, but it was New Year's Eve and there was no alcohol in the village. And it's funny because I remember back when I was 22 and going camping with my mom and Jordan, same type of thing, no alcohol. And I was fine with it. So it's like, this is like the shades of gray with, with drinking problems. It's like, no one starts out thinking they're going to have a drinking problem. And you're like, somewhere along the line, I crossed a point where I was okay that time being sober, but not okay this time being sober. <laughs> but anyway, so I, I was like, my New Year's is ruined. I seriously thought about flying to Bangkok because I could not drink alcohol on New Year's. And I'm in this village and in the end, they let us have beer and I filled up my bag with beer and I think I drank it all. I started drinking at like nine in the morning on this boat. I was drunk by, you know, 4 p.m. And similar type of thing happened a few months later. I was with my mom in Morocco and it was my birthday and we were going up the high Atlas mountains to this homestay and there was no alcohol. And I carried this bottle of wine on my back and then we got to the top. And I was so mad that we only had one bottle of wine and I couldn't get drunk. And I said, you know, this is when that was actually my surrender moment. That was the moment where I was like, this has to be over. And so there were a few more days left of that trip and I couldn't quit because, you know, my vacation would be ruined, <laughs> but I ended up quitting on the flight home from Morocco to Abu Dhabi. So that would be the other thing. Basically, if, if, if a lack of alcohol is causing you to be unhappy, then that I would say is a warning sign. I 100% agree. I think that is just like anything. If you kind of feel this 
innate attachment where without something you feel unfulfilled and happy. And when you look at the kind of like the grand scheme of life and you try to put it, its importance into that bigger picture and you see where it actually is valued for you, I think it puts everything into perspective. So I definitely think with alcohol, it might be hard for some people to hear because they might listen and say, oh, like maybe that is the way that I act and I'm not ready to admit because that is really difficult. And I really appreciate what you said earlier about AA seemed like the only solution. And it seemed drastic for people who wouldn't consider themselves an alcoholic. It was more so we grew up in this culture. It was normalized. We started drinking even before our legal age because even that was normalized. And you wouldn't really deem yourself an alcoholic when every single person around you is doing the exact same thing. So having all of these options and having this community that you can reach out to now, I feel like is a lot less intimidating Mm -hmm. and it's a little bit more encouraging and softer and gentle, which I think is what people need when maybe they're wanting to dive into this area and just wanting to be curious about the possibilities of what sobriety can do for them. For your community specifically, I think the combination of yoga and meditation, when you're saying all of this and what it's done for you, Mike, it just, it makes total sense. It makes sense why this worked. It makes sense why you all kind of find this common ground. And what I want to ask about all of this is for you specifically, yoga plays obviously a massive role. Mm-hmm it's not just the community. What else is it for you? Is it the mind body connection? Is it the, the strength? Is it that it gives you a sense of peace? Does it give you the sense of calm? What is it specifically that it has helped you stay sober? Yeah. I love this question because I was just running a yoga teacher training lecture this morning about the nervous system with some other people that are on a sober journey as well. And we were talking about how one of the reasons why yoga works so well is because it helps people shift from being in a state of chronic stress. So in the parasympathetic nervous system, which is when it's too much, it can be fight or flight. And I think a lot of us live in chronic stress because we are not taught these really crucial skills like, you know, the way that we breathe, like we're breathing into our, you know, our shoulders, we're breathing vertically. Um, we're not breathing deeply. Um, there's so many things that we don't learn as young children, Uh, you know, our, our thoughts, our, our negative thought patterns, how do we break from them? How do we rewrite narratives to make them more positive? We're not taught these coping skills as children. And so, so many of us adults live in chronic stress. We might not even be aware of it. And what yoga does is it triggers the relaxation response. So you shift from that state of chronic stress to that state of relaxation, which is so crucial because so many of us do not know how to tap into that. And so for me, I was using alcohol to tap into what I thought was a relaxation because I didn't know how to tap into it on my own. And then it became an addiction. And so I knew yoga worked, but I 
was addicted to alcohol at this point. Right. So I was on these yoga teacher trainings and I knew that yoga was like magic and amazing. And yet I had this addiction. And so for me, it is that management of the stress and relaxation response. And I can tell when I'm, I'm not doing it. So I teach yoga like every day of the week, pretty much, but I also need to practice it myself. And sometimes I drop that practice, you know, in the, in the busyness of life. And I feel the difference. Like last night I was, I was like in tears over something. And then I realized like, I I have not been practicing enough for me (laughs) and I need to be able to be in that state so that I can hold that space for other people to come into that state too. Um, So that is what I think the real magic of yoga is. It's this, this state, this transition, basically learning to regulate our nervous system and to transition from a state of stress to a state of rest and digest. I think it's so interesting that there's so many things on a regular basis that are normalized that put our body into very stressful situations. First example is caffeine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We are consuming beverages that put our body into fight or flight first thing in the morning when we first wake up and we wonder why maybe we are anxious or stressed or even feeling unfulfilled before even starting our work day. Then at the end of the day, in order to cope with that stress, what do we turn to? Another beverage that unfortunately is a depressant. And it's this weird cycle of normalized society that when I've gotten into my journey and I've really taken a look at little aspects of my life that I just didn't even contemplate evaluating because I just, Mm -hmm. it was normal. It was there. It was everyone does. But now that I've really gone through and I've started to look at, well, I don't have to do this because everyone does this. Does this bring me joy? Is this fulfilling for me? I started cutting out coffee significantly and the difference in my nervous system, the difference in my mental state, my clarity, even just cutting out 70%, because I understand it is actually still addictive for people and it is very difficult. But that was my first proud moment where I did something that was against the grain and everyone was like, whoa, I would, I could never do that. I would never do that. And I was like, that's okay. If, if you feel like it isn't what is for you, but I thought that way as well. And now I'm slowly starting to feel that way with alcohol. I had a, an evening recently, unfortunately, where I chose to cope with alcohol. And for the first time ever, I caught myself halfway through and I started tearing up saying, I don't want to do this anymore. And I just felt this overwhelming love for myself that I was harming myself more than I was soothing myself. So before when I would have a drink, when I would be feel anxious or upset, it almost felt soothing. It almost felt like, ah, okay. However, the next day, obviously you wouldn't feel that way. But in that moment, it was like that instant gratification. Like you were addicted. Like it gave you what you needed, what your body needed. However, my most recent moment, I didn't get that satisfaction anymore. It made me feel 10 times worse. So now your story is obviously perfect timing with all of this. And I'm like, this is just something that needs to be normalized. And I know I've had conversations with people where 
we see people who are sober and we're just like, whoa, I can't, I can't imagine. Obviously we look at it and it's like good for you, but you automatically assume it's because of something terrible happening. You don't assume it's just because they want better for themselves. You assume it's a very drastic moment that happened in their lives that forced them to do this, but it doesn't always have to be that way. It can be the decision that you just don't want to choose to cope that way because it is a very unhealthy coping mechanism. And a lot of people are not going to like to hear that, but it isn't. It isn't healthy at the end of your day to choose a drug, essentially, unfortunately regulated by the government, but still something that is a drug that we're putting into our system to cope and dysregulate our nervous system Mm -hmm. and to dysregulate our emotions and put us into a constant state of anxiety. Mm -hmm. It's so true. So on your journey and through your community, if you're open to discussing some struggles, I would love to hear in those early days, what you went through, how it made you feel, and then also the feeling of coming out the other side and seeing and assisting others kind of come out the other side as well. Yeah. Oh my goodness. The thing about alcohol is that when you're quitting drinking, everyone has something to say about it. It's not like when you're quitting smoking and people are like, wow, what an amazing thing that you've done. That's so good for your health. Actually, I think, so I've given this example to, I had this conversation with a relative. This relative said to me, you know, you can't stop talking about sobriety. You know, eventually you're going to stop talking about it. And I said, she said, you know, your granddad didn't walk into rooms and say, I'm a non-smoker. He just stopped smoking. And I'm like, yeah, but that was really different. So my granddad started smoking two packs a day, every day when he was 14. When he was a teenager, I'm sure if he quit smoking, people would be like, you're a wimp, you know, grab a cigarette, smoke with us, right? But something happened in the culture over this 60, 70 years where we started to wake up to lung cancer and how harmful cigarettes are and how addictive they are. And by the time he was 80 and he was smoking, people would, you know, judge him. People would say, oh, look at that smoker. You don't want to be a smoker. You know, there was like this, always this thing of like putting down smokers. And so when he quit smoking, everyone was like, amazing. This is incredible. You know, 86 years old, he smoked every day for like 60 years. And then he just quit one day and and everyone was so proud of him. And I believe that the culture around booze right now is really similar to the culture around cigarettes back when my grandfather was young. And I think we have not, as a society, woken up to the harms of alcohol because alcohol is this massive industry that is government owned (laughs) in Canada, right? Government makes a ton of money off of booze. Government makes a ton of money off of the health effects of booze. It's like, it's, it's so wild, but there's all the studies that say booze is good for you are funded by the big alcohol companies. And so we're convinced that wine, one glass of red wine is good for you when that's actually a study that's funded by, you know, these alcohol companies. And so we, as a society, don't celebrate the success of someone beating this addiction, unless they're, you know, 
unless you've hit that rock bottom where you've destructed your life and people are like, wow, you just made it through rehab. That's incredible. If you're like a gray area drinker, like myself, who I was, you know, a teacher, high functioning job, people are like, you don't have a problem. Can't you just cut back? Why do you need to quit altogether? Come on, have a drink. It's free. And it was so like, I can't describe how difficult it was to be, you know, you're craving alcohol and then people are telling you to drink with them. And you're, you're saying, I'm so proud of myself. I'm 21 days. And people are like, whoa, like you're crazy. Like, why did you cut? Why did you quit? Why can't you just cut back? You know? And I think that's the hardest thing. And so what I always say to people is the best thing you can do is be open and honest with people. And for myself, I was literally telling anyone I met in a bar, <laughs> I don't drink anymore. I'm sober. I have mental health issues. And I know that's a lot for anyone to share. And some people might not be fully comfortable, but I believe if you say, you know, I'm sober and I don't drink anymore because of X, Y, or Z, my health, whatever, it's a lot more of a statement than saying, oh, I feel like driving tonight or, oh, I'm tired or, oh, I'm on antibiotics, right? If you have, if you present in a wishy-washy way, that gives people more opportunity to pressure you. But if you stand firm in your stance, that will help. And then sometimes you might have to remove yourself from certain situations, right? Sometimes there is a friend group that is just not, no matter what, they're not going to get behind you. And then you think, is this the right environment for me. And it's really sad. You go through a grieving process when you grow out and you let go of a lot of friendships, but it was a hundred percent worth it for me to be surrounded by the community that I'm surrounded with now. I think it's really important that you brought up the word grieving process because like any kind of change that we try to implement for bettering ourselves, there is a grieving process. You're going to grieve the person that you were before a little bit, because maybe you thought they were more fun while you're going through your difficult healing journey, or maybe they had it easier, or maybe they seemed like they were less stressed because they worried less, or there's going to be a moment in anyone's healing journey that you're going to have to grieve. And I think that's something people don't take as seriously because it is a really painful process, unfortunately. And it's part of what makes healing so difficult as well is having to grieve people who are also still around. And that's Mm -hmm. a different kind of grieving that you need to do, especially if it causes you to lose friendships or maybe not have the same relationship with certain family members because you need to assert those boundaries. That all involves a grieving process of things just not being what they once were. And I think that's why people are also resistant to change because They don't understand also grieving someone or grieving part of yourself that's still around. And that's a whole different conversation in itself. But I feel like grief is a huge part of healing and changing. And I can imagine in sobriety, it is a massive role in unfortunately having to cut ties with people who will not accept that this change is what is best for you and that you know what is best for you. Yeah, totally. Have you ever run into instances with people where you kind of see their discomfort with your sobriety as a reflection of themselves? 100%. 100%. I think that was something I had to learn over time is that people's reaction is about them. It's not about you. And 
I used to internalize this pressure, but in reality, it's about them and their relationship with alcohol because people that don't drink don't really care whether you, I drink or not, right? People who don't have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol don't really care. And I'll give an example because I was in the Middle East, right? And so in the local culture, people are not really consuming alcohol. It's not, it's considered haram, it's forbidden. So if people are drinking alcohol that are local people, it's a very private secret thing. It's not done publicly. And it's not something that they're brought up around the way we were. Like up until last decade, it was illegal to drink alcohol in, in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, right? And it was illegal in Kuwait still. And so when I was explaining to local people what I did, like being sober, it was just like, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, like I'm sober. And, and like for me to explain like, no, 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 it's like a huge needed thing in the culture where I come from. This was like so weird to them. Like they, they just thought it was so interesting that it's such a thing in our culture. And that just shows to me, you know, for them, it, it was, it didn't really matter whether I drank or not, I would be invited to the table, you know, and yet in our communities and our culture, it's seen as it's seen as an issue. And I 100% think that it is, it's, it's like, you're just holding up a mirror to that person. And so if we can just be mindful of that, then we can take things less personally. 100%. And I think what I want to ask as my last question is, as someone who drinks, if you have someone in your life who is sober, how can we support them? Either just by saying straight up, I support you, but is there anything else that we can do to make, make them feel safe, make them feel accepted and really support their journey and praise them for it? Yes. I think one of the biggest things, everyone is different, but for me, I really like to still have a nice adult drink. And so it really, and I like alcohol-free beers for some people that's triggering in their sobriety. So I would say first ask someone what their beverage of choice is, but it makes my day. Like I went to visit my friend in Dubai, went to stay with him and he was my old drinking buddy from Kuwait. And he came home from the grocery store one day with a case of Heineken zeros. And I was like, this has made my day that you have like gone out of your way to put this in your fridge for me. And that just shows that you're really thinking about me. And, um, unfortunately so many of us sober folks will arrive at events and the only thing will be like water or Sprite or Diet Coke, which is fine, but it can feel really good when you're really thought about inclusively. And there's some option that you can have in a fancy glass and just feel comfortable drinking. And so I would say, go out of your way to find out, you know, I had high school friends who made me alcohol-free mimosas, same type of thing. It's like just such a treat to feel like nothing's changed and you're still enjoying a drink, but without alcohol. And so I think that has been a big thing for me that really makes a difference. Yeah. I think I can imagine as well, coming from this culture, still having something that makes you not feel like a kid. Like here's your glass of juice while everyone else has a big glass of champagne. I could imagine it's also just the, the natural body reaction. It's almost like 
a rite of passage. Like it, it makes you feel less like a kid and more like an adult. So having yeah. something like that to still make you kind of look similar to the rest of the group, it's almost like, like a confirmation, like a mental yeah. confirmation that I belong here. Like this is correct. So I think that's also a really great suggestion. And what are the first steps someone can take if they are looking at maybe becoming sober, but maybe they just want to lessen their consumption? Like what are those first initial steps they can take? Aside from assessing their relationship with alcohol, they've assessed it. They said, okay, maybe I need to cut back. Maybe sobriety is for me, but I don't know how to go about it because I'm not an alcoholic. I don't feel like AA is appropriate. Yeah. Maybe I do want a sober coach, but how do I even go about that? Like, how do I find the community that's right for me? How do I know what community is going to fit for me? I can imagine that it's a little bit scary to try to find when you're not that connected with yourself and you're not that 100% sure what is right for you. Yeah. I would say there's this huge secret sober Instagram world (laughs) that you don't know exists until you're in it. And it's amazing. And it's all these people that are reaffirming and spreading the message about sobriety and celebrating being sober and having that all over my Instagram feed is amazing. And so I would say one of the first things you can do is just try to surround yourself with positive influences around the alcohol-free or the sober curious lifestyle. So sober Instagram, there's a lot of sober Facebook groups amazing sober podcasts. I have one of them, Sober Yoga Girl, and also a lot of great Quitlet books. So a lot of books about sobriety, Unexpected Joy of Being Sober, Quit Like a Woman. And I used to just put them on. I got a bunch of audiobooks and would just listen to them as I drove around, um, driving to work, driving home, going on a road trip and being surrounded by other people reinforcing this was a game changer. So I would say if you are looking at it, first step is like, just kind of look out there and see what resonates with you. 100%. And like anything in life, you are who you surround yourself with and your closest five people, that's going to have the biggest impact on you. So Unfortunately, if that means cutting some people out, bringing some new people in, testing the waters with different communities, like that is okay. And I think as adults, it's also, it's, it's scary to think that we can't maintain certain relationships because of the decisions we are going to make, but it's also just part of life. And maybe that's meant to be, and maybe there's someone else that's going to be in your life. That's going to be closer to the path and help you down the path that you are just meant to go down that's healthier and happier for yourself as well. So Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Where can everyone find you on social media? Yes. So my personal account is Alex McRobs on Instagram, A-L-E-X-M-C-R-O-B-S. And you can also catch me at the Mindful Life Practice, which is my sober yoga community and the Sober Yoga Girl podcast. 